Hey all, it's Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you about our good friends over at Burgermaster. If you know anything about me, I crave burgers in my sleep. I do not mess around. Started in 1952, Burgermaster is the best burger chain in Washington State. They have locations all over the Puget Sound in Aurora, Bellevue, Everett, Mill Creek University, and Mount Vernon. Their fresh ingredients and classic driving experience make them the greatest burger chain in the state of Washington. Stop by Burgermaster on your way home from a Seahawks game. You won't regret it. Hey everybody, it's Brian. If you haven't noticed, it is absolutely nuts out there in the housing market. If you don't know exactly what you're doing and you don't have someone that you trust by your side to guide you through the process, good luck getting the home you want or getting the best price for the home you're selling. John Hurlbut at Altitude Homes is a guy I've known for years, over a decade, a friend and someone I trust implicitly. If you are in Pierce, South King, or Thurston counties, there is nobody better to help guide you through the real estate process right now. Go on over to altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkablogger. Now, again, that's altitudehomesteam.com slash hawkblogger. Sign up to contact John. He will help you with the process, and all referrals will result in a $1,000 donation from John and the Altitude Homes team to Ben's Fund. Everybody wins. Go in there, get your help, get your dream home, get the most money for your home. AltitudeHomesTeam.com slash HawkBlogger. Hey all, Evan Hill here of Real Hawk Talk. Super excited to talk to you guys about our good friend Blake Johnson of ManifestFit.com. Football season is quickly approaching, and it is a struggle to stay in shape while eating burgers and nachos. ManifestFit.com is your one only true online personal training service with workout and nutrition programs specifically based on your needs. They work with clients all over the U.S., and what makes Blake and ManifestFit.com so unique is that they don't believe training should be a luxury item. Now's the time to start. Head over to ManifestFit.com. Click on how to join and fill out the form. Their team will get back to you ASAP and help you start building a healthier, happier, louder Seahawks fans. The skyline is etched in my veins. You can never put that out no matter how hard it rains in my city. episode of Real Hawk Talk. I am Brian Nemhauser. You can find me on Twitter at HawkBlogger. And we're going to come and talk to you tonight about your first place Seattle Seahawks. The two and two Seattle Seahawks who pulled off one of the craziest victories we have seen for a Seahawks team in many years, a 48-45 barn burner in Detroit over the Lions, where the Seahawks offense punted not once the entire game for the first time in franchise history. Lots to lots to go over there, lots to go over this week. Actually, I think a very fascinating matchup against a New Orleans Saints team that is a bit of an enigma and and not what you might think when you first look at their record but before we get into all that and other goodness i'm going to bring in the crew we have a special treat tonight this is the rational crew we have managed to like shed ourselves of nathan and and evan especially you know like we're going to have a rational conversation so apologies if you're looking for you know, takes on, on in and out and, and all that stuff. This is going to be a, a rational conversation about your Seahawks with the only other two people that could be part of that. Um, first Dana O'Gorman at Dana OG on Twitter. 
Dana, it's so nice to have you back after you took uh, at least a week off from our podcast, if not from your other 17 podcasts. No, no, I didn't take a week off from the other one. I needed to take last week off. I'm glad I wasn't here because y'all were a little spicy last week. Like I was like watching it here and there and I'm like, mm. <laughs> you were a little wound up, a little wound up last week to, to put it kindly. <laughs> well, you know, uh, they kind of deserved it uh, the week before that. That was um, that was not a, a good loss at home against the Falcons. And then and then let's bring in Mr. Jeff Simmons at real Jeff Simmons on Twitter. And folks, if you're listening and not watching, I have to tell you, Jeff, actually, Jeff, why don't you tell everybody what what jersey are you wearing right now? I'm sure all of Seattle loves me right now, but I'm sporting my Blue Jays jersey. Uh, don't know if you know, I probably never talk about them on Twitter or on the show. I'm usually pretty the modest Canadian guy, but I am a Blue Jays fan. I've been a Blue Jays fan most of my life. And it's kind of a weird thing right now because my whole year, most of my timeline, to be honest, is football. I don't really follow a lot of baseball news. I just, I watch the team. So it's, all year I've been reading about the Mariners and kind of intrigued by the Mariners and Kind of excited. I watched the home run from them the other day and then turned out we're playing you guys in the playoffs. So I got to sport my Blue Jays jersey. I can't remember the last time we played Seattle in any playoff series. And then I'm like the MLS. I don't, I'm not an MLS guy. So it's kind of a new thing. And yeah, I was having some fun. Me and Joe Fan were kind of joking around on Twitter today and kind of going back and forth. And our pitching coach is named Pete Walker. So I wrote Pete Walker is greater than Pete Carroll. And we're, we're kind of going back and forth. Uh, yeah, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's, I'm pretty into it. So sorry for everyone who's offended by my jersey. I know Mariners fans do not like Blue Jays and their fans when we take over that stadium. But for a couple of days, we're going to have to go at each other and it'll be fun. I, I, a question for you on that before we, we move off of it. Uh, remind me, what was the Blue Jays season record against the Mariners this year? We got swept by you. It was, it, was, it was two and five, I believe. I, think, I remember the last four game series. It was four. And, I was actually at a bachelor party that weekend. Every time I looked at my phone, like I didn't know if I was like having too much fun, but every game the Jays were getting killed by you guys. So yeah, it's, it's a tough series. You guys have good pitching. And... We've got, we've got a lot of commentary going on on Twitter, uh, in the chats. Uh, there's booze. See, Jeff is one of the most beloved parts of the show. Jeff and uh, and Dana in general, like their Q score would be super high. Uh, but Jeff is risking it all tonight with that jersey. And, and I, I got to say, I respect it. And uh, it's hard for me to hate because the Mariners aren't in the playoffs often enough for me to have really feel like we've got rivals. I hate the Astros. I don't want the Astros to do anything. I hate the Yankees because I will always hate the Yankees. Beyond that, eh, don't really care uh, much beyond that. Uh, that's kind of how I feel. I, my hate, sports hate, is the Red Sox and the Yankees. I've grown to hate the Rays. I really hate the Rays. But I have no hatred for the Mariners. So uh, there's a guy who's a Seahawks fan. He's part of Seahawks Twitter named Brandon Kuhn, BK. He's a huge Blue Jays blogger. So he kind of tweeted out some fun stuff. He's like, the manager of the Blue Jays is named John Schneider, but he got hired in the middle of the season. <laughs> so it's like always a weird back and forth when I see Brandon talking about John Schneider, because my mind always goes to the Seahawks GM, but it's the same spelling, same name as the Jays GM. I mean, the Jays manager right now. So it's 
it's really a world's collide situation for me right now. Cause again, my following is way more Seattle and my whole tw- timeline on Twitter is way more Seattle than Toronto. Well, you are taking center stage as, as villain, uh, for the podcast. And that's always, a, that's always a good thing. Villains are always popular, even though people are basically saying they're going to block you on Twitter after this. So, uh, just, just be aware if your numbers go down, you know, where it started. Sorry. Uh, so God, there's so many places to take this last week. As Dana mentioned, we spent a lot of the time talking about, look, the team looked bad enough and lost to what we believe to be a really bad Falcons team at home. And the defense had no answer for anything that Atlanta did running inside, running outside passing. Like it was just a shit show. And we had a lot of conversation about like, well, that's a team that could lose to pretty much anybody. And if they can lose to the Falcons like that, then they could potentially be bad enough. that Pete Carroll could get canned. And that was the debate. We spent a lot of time. Dana's I wait, it's been seven minutes. We got our first Dana eye roll. It only took seven minutes, Sorry. but yes. Is that a record? Dana, it might be a record. Sorry. <laughs> that, that is what Dana was happy to miss out on last week. Uh, I want to hear from both of you after watching the Seahawks play the lions. What's your story? Like, what is, what do you, what do you think about this Seahawks team? What do you think about the coaching going on with the Seahawks team? What do you, how do you assess the state of this team and its progress from rebuilding sans Russell Wilson to wherever we want it to go? And, and Dana, I'm going to start with you. Sure. Um, I'm, I've said this to you guys. I've said it online. I'm just ha- having so much fun watching this team. And I know that the defense really sucks. I get that. And we can argue about Jamal Adams and the impact he would have had, uh, you know, till we're blue, you know, but I think that this defense originally was going to be planned quite a bit around him. And so now they're having to adjust that. I think that we're shocked at the back steps that so many players have taken and, and the regression that some of them have had on the defense, but at the same time where it's counterbalanced by this ridiculous offense that we never expected and we never even thought would show up. And, and so I'm so encouraged by the Shane Waldron offense right now and, and what is happening with it and, and what I'm seeing um, and yet equally discouraged to a certain point with the defense. I will think that at the state of the Seahawks right now, they're better than I thought they'd be. I mean, I hate to say that, but they already have two wins. That's half of the ones I thought they'd get the whole year. Right. Like, so I'm, I'm just so impressed with, with that. Um, I like the way there seem to be a lot of adjustments this week in the offense, you know, not slowing down in the second half, not getting so terrible. Um, but at the same time, the, the defense that showed improvement in that first half was so porous and so bad in the second half of that game. And, and I think the lions don't get enough credit for the offense that they put up there because I mean, really, truly they've been better than people thought their defense is equally as bad as ours. And so I think that that, you know, it counts with a lot of the production that we saw in that game, but I don't necessarily think Atlanta's as bad as people think they are. I think they're going to be now that Cordo Patterson is out, you know, for a while, but I, so I don't know. I, I think that the fun thing about this is each week it's like, hell if I know, I, I said in 
in a podcast yesterday, it seems like Pete Carroll's just throwing shit against the wall and seeing what sticks. And I kind of love it. Like, I just think it's kind of fun and he's rolling with it. The whole thing with the flags cracked me up. I thought that was awesome. I know everyone else was so pissed and I thought it was hilarious. So I, I just, I don't know. I'm really enjoying that because truly to me, this season is just about learning and growing and we can go on and on about how it's the fourth game and they should be getting better. But remember how complete crap this defense was. I think it was last season. And by the end of the year. Yeah. But then by the end of the year, they had improved so much. So I'm waiting for that to see if that clicks. You never know. LJ Collier could be the missing cog that we have been needing. I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. I'm just kidding. But here's the thing. I really do like what I'm seeing because the expectation just isn't there. And so it's a lot of fun and it's so different than what we've gotten for the last five years. I love it. I I think that's, that is a huge part of it. And Jeff, Mm -hmm. when, when I'm watching these games, jerseys are the same. Some of the players are the same on offense. It looks like a different animal. It looks like something I would say it looks like something different than I've ever seen in Seattle before. I'm kind of curious, like, so yeah, where, where, do, where are you with this team? I'm a little conflicted on, on, on two sides. I got one side talking my shoulder. I got the other side. Um, big picture, Brian, I really like to write up because I kind of came away with the same mindset coming out of the game. Obviously, we do need to talk about the defense, and that is it's a huge concern. But the, the way the offense played and really has been playing three of the four games – and I think it was overstated how bad they were in the second half against Denver. I, I rewatched that game. I think they were a couple of drives away from being pretty good. I have been just loving watching the offense this year. And that was probably to answer your previous question. They asked Dana, Shane Waldron. That, I think that was by far his best game as a Seahawks coach. He had answers to everything, both thematically. And I think the most important part, and I talk about this a lot, I, I'm trying to see what's like repeatable and the way they played offense I think it was unbelievable. It wasn't just like all the efficiency and it's the way they've played. And I've talked about this in other shows and I even know it's like David Sue had a kind of a hot take on this, but I just didn't enjoy watching the Russell Wilson offense the last few years. I just didn't. I, on, on admittedly, he is a great player. I'm not saying Russell Wilson wasn't great. Kind of like what Davis said. I don't agree with that, but I just found watching him very, very frustrating. I found the inconsistency frustrating. I found just how much they relied on certain plays. And now that we're seeing him play in Denver, we're seeing a lot of that stuff that was kind of blamed on Seattle and even Pete to an extent has carried over with Russell and just watching Gino and just the offense as a whole play and the way they're playing, the way they're using the whole field, the way they're using tight ends. I just think about how many times last year we thought, why is DK Metcalf not getting the ball? Why can't they run a simple mm-hmm. slam with him? Why are they not able to get the ball? And the way DCAP was, DK, sorry, not DCAP. I know a lot of people call him that. Uh, Blaine's used last game. That was a pleasure to watch. And like, I had so much fun. It's funny. A lot of my buddies thought I was absolutely nuts because I told them before last game that Geno Smith has been playing great. And like, they thought he's like finger pointing stats. And then he comes out and he wins NFC player of the week, kind of verifying the stuff I've been saying. And just watching the way he used the tight ends, the way he's making smart reads. Baldy did a great video on some of the stuff they did schematically and some of the stuff Geno read. Like the common answer I got from people this week, I don't know about you, Brian, or you, Dana, was Detroit's defense sucks. And I yeah. get that. That's definitely part of what happened for sure. But watch the throw Gino makes to Will Disley and what he's looking at at the time. 
Like that is the antithesis of kind of the throw Russell Wilson has been making. It's just a high level read. It's a high level throw and a high level diagnosis. Brian, I found your post game pod. I listened to it the other day. Just the way you talked about how the quarterback's playing at the line of scrimmage and pre-snap, all this stuff. It's just been so different to what we've watched. And I know it was just one game, but it, it's been a pleasure to watch the offense. It, it's been fun to see someone use the whole field, use the tight ends. Yeah. Uh, read the field to me like the again Russell's a far more talented player than Gino Loverby but I've really enjoyed watching this as a contrast and it kind of shows that Russell was a limited player and if you watched him play the Raiders you saw a lot of the same stuff you've seen with Seattle where they go a quarter and a half and they can't get a first down like the Tennessee game last year where everyone says oh Russell was amazing there's a lot of revisionist history being there and I'm on a tangent here but anyway I've just <laughs> loved watching the offense play and it sort of feels like when you're playing blackjack and you're on a heater and you're kind of expecting everything to come back to reality and logic says they're going to come back to reality but they keep getting better yeah I, can i, I mean, say though no, i'm sorry can ahead. i say really quick i don't think it has just been one game if exactly. you go back and you watch what he's been doing it was the first few games of the season, which were for every team, you got to shake some rust off and you got to get there. Right. But it hasn't just been this one game. I I've now done two podcasts in a row um, that have really focused on Gino and both of them are like, but look at this and look at this. And the one I did yesterday with Emery Hunt, who is a, he does national media, right? Like he, he knew he said, he called it and you can go and look it up. In the beginning of preseason, he said, Gino is going to kill it in this offense. This is made for him. And he's never, ever had the chance to do this type of offense with these type of players. Nobody bought it because he was a backup. And I think that he has proven so many people wrong. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, Brian. I'm sorry. No, I love it. And it gives me time because, I mean, I was looking something up. I was going to make this exact same point, which is, uh, well, not maybe exact same, but uh, first half of the game against Denver, Gino played essentially a perfect game, perfect half. And we were all like, holy crap. And I would guess every single one of us, especially after in the second half, they didn't score. We're like, yeah, that was fun. And then the second game against the, the, the 49ers, you know, the offense scores zero points. It's like, okay, you know, he's probably not going to be more than what we've expected him to be whole game against Atlanta was good whole game. Um, and I think they win that game at Atlanta. If there's not that holding call, uh, on Damian Lewis, which sounds like it was a real call. I, I have to go back and check. It seemed like a very ticky tack call at the time, but in any event, I think he played well enough there. And then this game, he played a complete game. And what I've heard from people like kind of fight back against Gino is well, he hasn't finished a game. He hasn't like won it in the clutch. Well, he did now. He did it actually multiple times in this game. I would say he did it four or five times in this game. And then the other thing they say is like, you know, he hasn't had to, he hasn't had to win it himself. Well, his, <laughs> his defense just gave up 45 points. And so now he's done that. And like, I think they're running out of things to say that he hasn't done yet. And here's one stat that I don't think has been talked about enough. Like the Seahawks, for people that don't know, one of the things that makes them so watchable right now in offense is third down. 
Uh, this is this is a team that I can't tell you how many times I was like, ah, third and seven. Man, I hope they can make this. But, you know, I'm just prepared for them to punt. And they convert. And they convert. Well, I just did a look up of oh, through four games, which team in the NFL, which teams in the NFL are best on third and seven plus. And I don't think it would surprise either of you to know that the Seahawks are first in the NFL in that category. They have converted. Keep in mind, like a good third down conversion rate is what would you say, Jeff? Like 40, 42, something around there? 40. Yeah, I'd say, yeah, high, high, low 40s. Low 40s is like usually leading the NFL, maybe mid 40s, high 40s in a really powerful offensive year. On third and seven plus through four games, the Seahawks are converting 48%. 48% on third and long. That is insane. That's insane. The, the teams close to them are like Miami, who is off to like a, a really strong start. Kansas City, Buffalo. Like nobody else is above 37% other than those teams. So like... I just have found what's going on there to be, it's one of my, I guess one of my favorite things in sports in general, but I obviously follow football the, the most, most closely is when the narrative doesn't match reality and it takes humanity so long to catch up to with what's really happening. I love that. I remember when the Seahawks were a laughing stock for the nineties and nobody was going to games anymore. And it was like the Mariners were the, the talk of the town as they were coming up, right? It was the exact opposite of what it's been. I remember standing in what was at the time, I think still Seahawks stadium and watching a game against the Rams where I think, can't remember who forced a fumble in the last two minutes. And then the C Matt Hasselback drove them down. And this was the greatest show on turf. They were like the big thing. And the Seahawks, I think they they threw a, a touchdown to Corin Robinson. I, I can't remember who did it, but like to win the game at the end. I just remember thinking, this is the turning. Like this is the the, the people are going to come back now. And um, I guess I just feel like that was a moment where the city wasn't yet aware. The rest of the the rest of the NFL was not yet aware of what was going to be the 2005 Seahawks that they were coming. And I was there. I could see it coming. And I'm not saying this is a team that's bound for the Super Bowl in two years, but this is a team that um, they might not win eight games. Like, I'm not saying that they're all of a sudden this crazy team, but this offense is significantly better, significantly better than what anybody gives it credit for, even most of the people in the Seahawks fan base. So I think that's kind of fun. I mean, I, I like that. I'm not scared to be out here talking about it and be like, yeah, Geno Smith is one of the best quarterbacks in football right now. Don't care what he's not done in his history. That's just the truth right now. I got into an argument on Twitter. Um, I had posted something. Um, gosh, I don't even remember what it was. And, and one of the responses to it was, oh, I had said that, you know, I'd laugh in your face if you would have told me that after four weeks, we were all tied with the NFC West. Like that would have been hilarious to me if you'd said that week one. Um, and the response was, would you be surprised that Geno Smith is the best quarterback in the division? And some Bronco, oh, he's a Broncos fan now. Broncos fan comes on. He's like, but he's not. I'm like, actually, he is. And people yeah. just can't wrap their head around it. It's so fun. I don't even think it's close, right? Not really. No. 
I mean, Stafford yeah, I had Derek been, look it up <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah, Stafford's been not great. And Jimmy Garoppolo exactly. clearly is not great. Kyler Murray has been struggling. Average, yeah. Like, it's not close. Mm-mm. So, I don't know. Like, so let, what, one of the things I'm really curious to, to hear both of your opinions on is, let's say by some crazy, like, awesomeness, this continues, at least on offense, and they and Gino plays to this level, which is, you I, I don't know how he couldn't make a Pro Bowl if he continued at this level. He might like to be totally honest, he could be in an All Pro conversation if he continues to this level. He just won Player of the Week. Um, what do you do next year? What do you do, Jeff? I'm curious. Like, what's what's your instinct? Where where do you go? I think it's a great situation and you, you hedge it and you have two first round picks, but now it just doesn't put an emphasis on having to draft the quarterback potentially, or having to potentially get in the top five. But remember Gino's what 32 years old. Mm -hmm. Like you're probably not investing in Gino, even if he has his best year as your franchise quarterback. I think what you have to do is you have to look at Gino as a bridge quarterback. And a lot of people probably thought of him more like that Tavares Jackson, where it kind of, you're just using him to get through a year. But I think the best way to look at them is sort of how the Rams used Jared Goff years ago to eventually upgrade to someone else. But I think you kind of get the best of both worlds where maybe you take a quarterback with your second first round pick and you spend the first pick on defense, or you can take more of a project. There's a couple of quarterbacks who are ready to play now, but maybe there's someone they like who's more of a project and Gino can transition you a little bit longer rather than what I would have thought probably going into this year was they're probably going to end up in the top three and they very well might with that defense, but taking CJ Stroud is ready to play next year. Obviously that's the number one priority long-term, but I think you have a little more flexibility now with Gino and I'm not coming in and signing Gino to like a $20 million contract thing. Okay. He can get you through the next five years. I think you hedge yourself and you still try to get a quarterback for the long-term but Gino is a little better than I personally thought. He's a lot better than I thought based on what he played this year. And I think he can be just a bridge for a little bit longer and you can ease someone into it. Sort of like the Alex Smith Mahomes situation. Obviously I'm not expecting him to draft Mahomes, but just the way those two were used, you can really bring a quarterback along and maybe go with someone a little more developmental. It gives you the flexibility to do a lot of things or you're bringing two to compete next year. So I think if they play well, it's a great situation for the Seahawks. I mean, Dana, my, my, my setup for this that I was asking about that I want your opinion on as well is that Gino keeps this up. And so through four games, I mean, you times that his numbers by four, granted there's even a game beyond that. So it could be above this, but like, you're talking about, you know, over 4,000 yards passing. You're talking about 24 touchdowns, you know, high twenties touchdowns and just like eight interceptions uh you're just talking about one of the most prolific quarterbacks from an efficiency standpoint that we've seen um in recent years what do you do do you sign him to a long year long-term deal and that by that i mean like more than two years uh do you think he would sign anything less than a long-term deal do you franchise tag him do you let him go and take the comp pick? What, what's, what would you want to see the team do? I think 
that we talked about this at the beginning of the season. And Jeff, I think it was you that said, my one of my biggest nightmares is that Gino's going to play well enough and they're not going to grab a quarterback in the in the draft. And that is my two. In fact, the last couple of mock drafts I've looked at, they have both first round picks being defensive players for Seattle, which freaks me out. I'm not going to lie. Like, I just don't know that this quarterback class will be repeated anytime soon. However, there might be some kind of like Jeff said, that would be a little bit later. Here's the thing. If, if Gino keeps this up, manages to stay healthy and the, the defense or the offense is really just kind of clicking with him, it would be really hard to not turn around and sign him. Do you sign him for a three-year deal? I don't know that. Um, just because that puts him then at what, 35. But at the same time, there's always ways to get out of that. I think that you would have to have, there'd be a lot of pieces in play there. You would have to look at what quarterbacks are coming down the pike in a couple of years, which ones now that they could sit and, de and, and develop if they needed to develop it. Um, if it were me personally, I think, I think they, I still want them to take a quarter, a, big, a higher pick quarterback. I do. But at the same time, I don't think I'd be mad anymore if he kept this up. I don't think I'd be mad if they didn't yeah. do that anymore. Two games ago, if you had told me that, I would be, I'm like, hell no, they are taking a quarterback. They, this is I not know, how you this got works. mad at me. But you got mad I know. at me. Well, I did because it was illogical <laughs> to me. It was right after the Niners game, for God's sake, right? Like, I'm like, that is illogical. I don't understand. But I really do think if he can continue it and then you have to play the how long, like if the last four games he drops off, but he played good the rest of the season, blah, blah, blah. Oh, there's so many subtleties to this game, but I think it would be, it would not anger me if he continued to play this well throughout the season and they decided to keep him for a couple more years. Yeah. I, where I'm at on this as of now, I said this on the post game show as well. I think the no brainer at this point is that you franchise tag him. And that's something I don't think people are necessarily thinking about as much, but you'll pay him a shit ton of money for one year. And you have the cap space to do it next year. All sorts of stuff's falling off the cap. Um, you still draft a young quarterback. I still would generally do that. But then you have some options like from there. But like, if you can get Geno Smith to sign a two-year deal after a year like this, I would do that too. I would, I would do that. Beyond that, I start getting uncomfortable. And... The challenge here is what I want them to do versus what they will do are two totally different things. And I think Pete and John, and honestly, like it's defensible, right? They'd be like, if we have our quarterback, we found the person who fits what we're doing, runs our offense, knows it really well, knows the receivers and everything's like going gangbusters. Why are we changing them out? Why wouldn't we become great on defense and get our version of Nick Bosa or Joey Bosa or Khalil Mack or name your, your big defender. And then another great player um, and, and boost up. Like there's logic to that. There really is. Um, what bothers me about that approach is I think it really shortens your window because now your window is as long as Gino's career. And so you've got to be good enough in the next three years, probably four years to, to win a, a Super Bowl. And you've got to bet that Geno's ceiling is to be able to beat a Patrick Mahomes, you know, in a big game. 
And I just, we haven't seen that yet. So like, that's where I'm like, I don't know if I'm really ready to throw my hat in that ring. And it's a little early too. I mean, I think you could have that conversation after week eight and have it have a little more weight to it. You know, if you could mm-hmm. see what they could do for that long period of time. The other thing too, um, and this is brought to my attention, you know, you could, you could do what they did with Flynn and Wilson is you bring the kid in and let him duke it out and That's see who saying. wins it. Yeah. yeah. It just makes more sense. If you're going to bring them in, let them see what happens. Cause then what are you going to end up doing? If you don't, you're going to end up in a situation like Pittsburgh where they're chanting for Pickett in the middle of the game. They bring him in. Pickett's the same quarterback as Trubisky. I mean, they're just like, but it, it's, you don't want that kind of division. So you literally let them duke it out and see what happens. Yeah, I think we're going to learn a lot more about Gino. Brian brought up a good point, but we saw the one game against a team that was against a kind of a contender level team. And obviously they played a little different. They were very conservative, but we saw what happened when the Seahawks played the Niners, who looked like a Super Bowl level defense. In the next few weeks, they're going to play Justin Herbert. They're going to play the Rams eventually. They're going to play Patrick Mahomes. So I think we're going to get a really good evaluation on how Gino matches up against those kind of players. And ultimately, I think no matter what, they got to draft the quarterback early. I think they would be foolish not to. I totally agree with Brian. I can see them going that other way. But you got to just set this franchise up. And like John Schneider scouted Will Levis this week. He's a top five level player. So, you know, they're, they, he was at the game. So they're certainly doing their due diligence. But I think, yeah, what Dana said, I think shortening the window and really going in with – you don't want to end up like the Jimmy G 49ers and then you're forced to be desperate and give up three first round picks. This really gives you an opportunity to set up the short and the long term, which is what the Chiefs did. And that's the example I cited. So I, I, there's a great point in chat and I've got to bring it up because I think it's a great, great point. It comes from Nathan Wise and he says, I'm confused. Gino's two years younger than Russ. Now, why does that matter? That matters because if Russell Wilson was on this team and we had two first round picks, high first round picks next year, we would not be talking about how you've got to draft a young quarterback. It would be a conversation. There'd be some debate, but we'd be like salivating over the idea of getting two blue chip defensive players to solve this massive problem we've got on defense. And so really the only thing holding us back from feeling that way is that and by the way Angina's not only younger but he will still be cheaper next year even if he finishes this year playing really well he will be he will be significantly cheaper so he won't be cheap relative to a rookie quarterback but he'll be cheap relative to Russ so I don't know I think that's a good point I, I get what he's saying for sure but you got to think about the track record Mm-hmm. It's hedging a bet. Gino's been good for four games in his NFL career. No, but and we're talking about if he's good for the whole year. Yeah, that's, the, that's the problem. But even so, even so, you have just because you're good for the whole year now, are you going to be good again next year? So I think you have to hedge your bet just based on a career track record. And there's nothing wrong with it. If Gino's good and they draft a rookie and Gino keeps playing well, play him. I'm totally fine with that. If he takes a look. Obviously, the craziest example of that is Farvin Rogers. And again, this is not Farvin Rogers, it's Geno Smith. But they drafted Rogers, they played him in three years, and they had a window that extended 15 years. Like, I don't see the harm in drafting a quarterback with these picks. 
because it's it's more about it, the track record. The reason Russell Wilson is he's been doing it for 10 years. It's a sable. He's actually maybe not. He's starting to fall off the map a little bit. But you know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know, Dana. I mean, you love defense, Dana. I know. Tell me you don't want to add. You want to see Cody Barton again next year? Stop it. No, don't see, be ridiculous. You want your boy LJ Collier? <laughs> no, he's my boy now. I thought he was your boy. What no. happened? <laughs> Max effort. Oh, that's right. LJ You're cute, I'm, Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like the idea of getting two defensive linemen, interior and, and edge. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, we talk about quarterbacks. It hasn't been easy finding those guys for this team, right? So, Especially interior. I mean, when's the last time the Seahawks drafted a defensive tackle that was like a Pro Bowl level disruptive force? Cortez Kennedy, right? I, Marcus I Tubbs for a year. Marcus Tubbs is awesome that one year. Yeah, <laughs> oh Brandon Meebane was great, but he was not disruptive. Not in the same way. Brandon. Yeah. Very different player. Yeah. So, yes, I get it. And and it was brought, once again, it was mentioned to me yesterday. It's like, what is his name? Will Anderson, whatever this player yeah. is. They're like, it's the only guarantee in the draft next year is this kid. And he could be sitting there because everyone else, they're like these mock drafts. It's like the Texans are going to take Stroud and the Bears are going to take that. You know what I mean? And so like all of this, and it's like, he'll be sitting there, Dana, waiting. Don't you want him? And I'm like, well, yes, but <laughs> what do those quarterbacks down the way a little bit? The beauty of that is we do have two first round picks. And so I think the really quarterback needy teams will, will move up pretty quickly or already be there probably, let's be honest. Um, and so there might be someone else sitting down there. So if they take this perfect defensive specimen for that very top pick then yeah but i still want him to get a quarterback with that second uh, one. I mean, and, and hopefully denver will be crappy enough that it's pretty high mm-hmm. right like that's what we're hoping for oh that's that is that is, you're, you're you're making me like yeah. so excited yeah, Dana, because so crazy. Gino anytime you can talk about denver being bad it just puts a smile <laughs> on my face but gino gino if he plays like this all year might take them out of quarterback range like there isn't nine quarterbacks in this draft there's probably three or four that you would think are a blue chip prospect, maybe three. So that's where it gets interesting because if they finish, say, 12th pick or something, do you want to give up the picks to move up and get that quarterback with all these needs on defense? It becomes a very interesting conversation in that regard. It does. And you're, I think we, we keep forgetting, or like, I think in general, don't talk about it. It's not like we talk about just the first round. It is two firsts and two seconds. Yeah. Two firsts and two seconds. Like you're talking about four players, most likely in the top 40, you know, top 45 players p- picked and what's looking like a pretty good draft. So I think the team's got some options. Uh, I think it's gonna be really a fascinating sub story this whole time. And I love that twist from, from Nathan uh, Wise in chat about, you know, our biases are showing. They're showing it, 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 it's a fact that uh, Geno Smith is named Geno Smith and not Russell Wilson. But we just spent the first 20 minutes of the show talking about why Geno Smith is playing the position better than Russell Wilson's played this position for at least the last few years. And yet we're ready to get rid of him. Yeah, yeah. it's weird. It really is. It's a I just want to remind situation. everyone that the draft's in Kansas City next year. So come on, oh, come on down it. and party with me. It'll be so fun. Ooh, Think about I mean, how fun that would be. Oh, that's an interesting idea. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
you got to get us in though, Dana. Actually, yeah. I will do my best. Good time to come to KC, actually. Yeah, for sure. That was actually a commitment from Dana on record. She's going to make it happen. I said I'll do my best. Yeah, that was commitment. Uh, So (laughs) I I am like, I'm going to shift gears a little bit because offense, I think we're all giddy about. I I think I want to talk about whether we think, how we think they'll match up with the Saints. We'll get into that in a second. But there's another part that I think we might either all see similarly or differently. And I don't know, but like, I think Dana, you and I, we saw progress on defense, right? Like definitely. I saw a team that in the first quarter, I saw run fits that were better. I saw gaps that were filled. I saw tackles that were made. I saw a team that was trying to run getting three to five yards instead of eight to 25 yards for every run that they like. Cordero Patterson was not getting touched for like 10, 15 yards in the Falcons game. Like it was just awful. And then we saw some turnovers and it wasn't like anytime you give up 45 points and 500 plus yards, you're not like, Hey, that was a great game. But I'm in the mindset of, okay, maybe this team cannot be the worst defense in football. Maybe they can find a way schematically start to settle in. Maybe they can be 20th in the NFL. Like maybe that's a realistic target for them. And if they're that, and they've got this offense, then I think this team could win some games. I'm curious where mm-hmm. you, where you both are at on the defense. Jeff, you want to start? Oh yeah, I'll start. Um, yeah. I don't think you're too far off about their, the biggest thing when you watch the Niners game and the Falcons game was how they just were so bad at run defense. And to me, that's the most demoralizing thing a defense can do when you can't play run defense and they're running at will, like some of those quarter L Patterson runs and the Niners game just looked like you could tell within five minutes. I remember texting you, Brian, but the game was over in five minutes. They just had that look of a team that dominates the trenches. So in the first quarter and a half, they looked fine defensively. Like Shelby Harris, you saw some of his pass rush win rates, and they were much better at getting off blocks on defense. Still pretty bad. They're not winning up front very much, but their run defense and their run fits look better. And to me, that compared to the what the absolute hopelessness of that 49ers game and still a pretty horrible p- performance against Corderell Patterson against a pretty average offensive line, to me, that, that was why we were so down last week. He had 45 points against a team with Amonra St. Brown and DeAndre Swift out. It was still pretty bad, but they, they did show some signs. The hardest thing for them right now, and really when you're evaluating defense and one of the old personnel things is you're all, you're as bad as your weakest, you're as strong as your weakest link. And right now Seattle has two very, very weak links that as much as they want it, we find improvements unless they can follow these two weak links they're going to have problems all year. And if the best example is if you remember the Eagles play the Patriots in the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, Malcolm Butler, our enemy in Seattle, but he didn't, he got benched by Bill Belichick mm-hmm. and they had no nickel corner essentially. And even the Seattle example, if you remember Jeremy Lane went out and Therold Simon, this is the LOB one week link can sink an entire defense. And it was Therold Simon in that Super Bowl. It was that New England slot corner in that Super Bowl. Seattle's got two. Cody Barton and Josh Jones are playing at an atrocious level. And Barton was absolutely terrible by far. He was bad in the Atlanta game. This was by far his worst game. And Josh Jones, like almost every game, there are plays that the drop-off from Jamal Adams to him is so big. 
Yep. And Dana mentioned it earlier, but right now it's just DeMal was their best player in defense and playing Josh Jones is probably their worst player other than Barton. And those two guys make the job. Again, you're as bad as you're strong as your weakest link and they got two right now. Dana, one of the reasons the, the Seahawks right now are, are like enjoyable for me is mm-hmm. because we're not arguing with each other as Seahawks fans about whether or not it's Russell that's the problem or Pete that's the problem mm-hmm. or whatever. Now, a small echo of that continues, which is whether Cody Barton is the problem or other people are the problem. Why? Like, what am I missing that <laughs> like people are defending Cody Barton? I don't know. You know, in the Denver game, he had like two splash plays. Like he got a tackle for loss on one. And oh, that's I don't right. even remember what the other one was. Yeah. He had these two splash plays and we were all like, oh, holy crap, maybe he actually figured something out. And then the second half game, you're like, nope, nope, he didn't. He didn't figure anything out. Right. You know, and, and you're right. There is, I mean, even amongst our group, like people who are like, why does everyone hate Cody Barton? Why do you like Cody Barton? I mean, I'm sure he's a very nice gentleman and I'm sure he was raised very well by his parents. I mean, I'm not talking about him personally. I'm just saying that one, you posted the clip, Brian, of him in this last game where he's going this way. And he was like, well, oh, where'd he go? Like he, he looked so lost on defense. It was ridiculous. I can't that wasn't figure even his out. Worst play. I know, but it was hilarious. <laughs> but hilariously sad to be quite on, but here's the thing, you know, I know Nathan and our group, and he's not here to say anything, but he does say he really feels like there are players on the defensive line that are playing worse than Cody Barton. I'm not saying that they're playing super well. I don't see how you can say they're, they're playing worse. And, and, and I know that, and this is what I told him. And this is what I'll say, you see those players make plays I don't see Cody Barton even making his place. Sometimes not even being on assignment. Like it's so confusing to me, but we have said from the get-go on the show, and I think almost everyone agrees, linebacker is the biggest issue on this team. And we are seeing the gaping hole that Bobby Wagner left, even though the Rams are, are struggling in that area too. But I'm not saying that Bobby would have solved all the problems, but we're just seeing the huge talent difference there. Oh, Bobby made a better tackle on a fan than Cody Barton's made on a player. <laughs> and is you. now getting sued for like charges against him for it or something. No stupid. way, really? Yeah, the guy filed, filed a police report for like assault and battery against Bobby. Oh Wagner. my God. I hope I know, that guy gets. Oh, I know. That's. I know. Uh, yeah, it's so as far as problems on this defense, I, as much as I talk about Cody Barton a lot and I agree on Josh Jones, I think the, the defensive line is the biggest problem on this defense. Yeah. I, I do believe that. I believe that, they're, that their lack of pass rush, their lack of being able to control the blockers in front of them is leading to all sorts of other problems. And there's no one on that defensive line that is consistently disruptive. Shelby Harris is probably the closest to that. And Al Woods has some moments for sure, but like this is, I would guess it's the 32nd out of 32 defensive lines in the NFL. I think the linebacker crew might be 31 out of 32. Like, I think they're really bad. I just don't think that position is as, as important as the defensive line. So um, I just think the front seven is probably the worst front seven in the whole nfl right now yeah i don't think i don't think it's close and what happened how did that change because there was so much 
that we thought would be promised going into this year. It's just gone. Well, there's a couple of things. Um, they did switch some of their schemes and there are some things that I, I, Brian mentioned this too. I heard this too. It jumped off the page. KJ Wright was talking about some of their defensive linemen and they're just poor fits for what they're doing schematically. And, one of them was the way I mentioned was Quinton Jefferson, which is Brian pointed out to us or on Twitter. It's pretty alarming. They signed a guy in the offseason, a new defense who KJ thinks doesn't fit their defense. And the role of the defensive line in the three, four is more of a eating gaps versus penetrating and Puna Ford and Quinton Jefferson are really good, like penetrating defensive linemen. They're not the guys who are eating up blocks and creating lanes for their players. And Puna, has been such a reliable player in this defense. He's one of the highest paid players on the team. He's just getting blown off the ball in the system and it's not helping him. It's kind of going away from his strength. Al Woods has been fine. He's been doing his job. And Daryl Taylor, who's a guy we thought was going to be an emerging player, is now at the player level where he's going to get benched on early downs and he's basically a rotational pass rusher. And he's not winning at that. So other than Chenna Nuosu, who's been pretty good, he's been probably their best front seven guy. There's just no player who's an Al Woods. There's no one who's above average right now. And guys like Puna and Taylor, who you would have expected to be high-level players on this team based on what they've done in the past or what they showed last year, they're close to zero, especially Taylor is close to a zero right now. And that is a huge blow. Boy, Malfix looks okay, but they don't have any front seven guys who are flashing. And to win the league, you watch the Niners player some of the best defense, the Niners and the Cowboys are the two best defenses in the league right now, just from like a watchability and from a disruptive standpoint, that whole pass rush versus coverage thing to me keeps looking more laughable as we get, get along and you see it disrupts all these games, but they don't have disruptors in the front seven and they don't have guys who are winning blocks in the front. So it's impossible to play defense with a front seven that bad. I got to say, we've said this before. Um, uh, Roquan Smith, who people keep bringing up, is not the answer, folks. We're not trading draft capital, high draft capital for a veteran, costly linebacker. It's not like it is if they do that, it is a awful, 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 awful move. I will be furious. I will be I'll be irate. That is a terrible decision. It will not solve the problem. It will exacerbate and actually potentially keep you from ever becoming in the next few years a contender again so like linebacker if if somehow you could make a trade for aaron donald and he was committed to sticking around then yeah maybe that's one of the only interior linemen i would consider mortgaging our future for but there's not that many others like this team needs to be getting young players drafted players it has to go that direction there's not a shortcut the only thing that i think could be is picking up some guys off the streets, you know, like trying, I don't know who the free agents are now. I haven't looked recently in terms of defensive line, but like JPP just signed with the team a week or so ago. Like there's some of those guys that you could potentially look at, but I don't know. My thought is I think, I think this defense could potentially step forward more this week against the saints is going to be interesting. I think this game is really interesting. I know we've got some patron questions. So why don't we, if we can, Dana, if we can take some patron questions and then let's talk about the Saints game, if you all are able to stay a little bit past the hour. Um, While Dana's looking those up, I will just say, if you haven't already, please give the show a like. Appreciate it. Um, 
takes just a second to do and you can click the bell to get notified when we go live and then head on over to hawk uh, sorry not hawklogger.com head over there too you can read the tale of the tape article we put up this morning but go over to patreon.com hawkblogger and get uh sign up to be a patron get access to the slack channel and get to ask these questions that we're about to answer for you and please if you haven't already as well um go to uh apple uh, you know your podcast app and give us a five-star review on google play on on apple uh anywhere you see the podcast that is super helpful and we really appreciate it so with that dana hit us with some questions interesting thing is there's only four questions this week and you've actually already answered most of them so it'll be interesting i hope that we get that we answered the questions. So um, Brondi and Imani both asked about Gino and what it would be to keep him. And so I, I hope that we thoroughly went over that for them. Um, Imani wanted to know, are the numbers good enough to extend him? How much better does he need to be in order for you to be convinced he's the short-term answer quarterback for the next couple of years? Brondi asked for, um, given his performances and the defense, would you spend that pick on a defense sort of thing. So I hope that we answered those two questions for you, you guys. Um, then um, this one is actually for Jeff. It's from has no clue, <laughs> which is a good name. I like that. Uh, it says, Jeff, as someone with experience covering the NFL at large, is, isn't there a linebacker on a practice squad somewhere that would have a higher, higher ceiling than Cody Barton, or at least more assignment sound? I'm sure there is, but again, I think you look at it realistically and you're fixing a symptom, you're fixing a problem, but you're not fixing the symptom of the problem. So yeah, sure. It would help the better linebacker play. And it's been a little surprising. They haven't added to the room. And I know Pete mentioned Christian Jones is a guy who can play a little bit. He was with Sean Desai in Chicago and maybe he'll play a bit, but I think really the issue is more of the front seven guys and more of the front three and the edge rush. And I think if you're solving problems, I think really, yeah, you can switch out linebackers. And it's exactly what Brian said with Roquan Smith. Sure, if you have a better second linebacker, a couple of things, you'll get some better tackling. But bigger picture, you're not going to do that much. Maybe take a big play away. Maybe you stop that, stop the bleeding. But until you fix the ability to win blocks in the front and win on pass rush, you look at like what Bosa and what TJ Watt does and what Micah Parsons is doing. It's hard to win when you don't have a guy like that. It's hard to play good defense when you don't have a guy like that. And if you, uh, so they can find an upgrade potentially, but find someone who knows their defense, who can be assignment correct. I don't think that exists on a practice squad. Maybe you can get someone who's talented and try to develop them, but you're not really solving the problem here. Mm -hmm. Let me give you a couple names just on that topic before we move on. Um, do you think any of these players could potentially help the Seahawks defensive line? Um, uh, first one is Brandon Williams from Baltimore. D defensive tackle, nose tackle type. Uh, second, Ndamukong Su. Uh, third, Linval Joseph. Uh, and then we start getting into guys like um, Star Lutalele, you know, things like folks like that. Um, and then you've got edge guys like D Ford, for example. Any of those guys interesting enough that the Seahawks should be looking to bring them in? I think it would depend on what they cost. Let's just say vet minimum. Yeah. Forget the cost for the time being. Okay. Can they I help? Mean, at this point, could it hurt? I don't know that they could hurt, except where they could get hurt and then be worthless, but because they're kind of old. But, you know, I think, um, 
I, I think much like the offense, you kind of got to throw almost anything at the board and see what, what sticks a little bit. Um, not Nadamakin too. That's all I have to say about that one. But, you know, I don't know, Linval Joseph, how old is he? He's got to be like 37. Linval Joseph is like 33. Shut up. Yeah. He's, he's oh, yeah. broken down with injuries. Yeah. That's, sure yeah. that's why I assumed he was so issues. much older. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Um, I think Brandon Williams probably he's played in that kind of defense where he's been more of like a two gapper who can eat up blockers. And I don't know what his health's like. I don't know what kind of shape he's in, but Sue is more of a penetrating defensive tackle. And mm-hmm. that would be helpful, but really you don't want to block other guys. And Shelby Harris, I think it's pretty good in that role. I think you need what you need is the guys to win up front and maybe use Puna four a little differently, maybe kind of a unique role. And if you can get more of the Al Woods types to kind of help transition you that would help. So I can see someone like Brandon Williams being appealing and maybe kind of move Puna around, use him a little creatively because he's not mm-hmm. a great role to kind of win on the edge and help set the edge for other players. Yeah. I have to There's admit the guy, the guy I'm still just like annoyed that we haven't even heard anything about is Landon Collins. Like, yeah, he's so much, he's so much like, Jamal Adams and he's got clear limitations and he hasn't been great the last couple of years. That's why he's available, but really like there's no chance he's more valuable than Ryan Neal or Josh Jones. Like this is a guy that was like, there were years where he was considered like a defensive player of the year candidate like Jamal Adams. So anyway, I don't know. That one seems, seems like he could play some of the role that they had in mind for mm-hmm. Jamal Adams. They're very similar, but Anyway, sorry, go on, Dana, with your Patreon questions. No, and we have to remember there is a roster spot open on the team right now. Mm-hmm. I did put that out there. Yeah, a little bit. You never know. You never know what could happen. Never know. Um, so Imani came back on and she threw in a last a minute question. Last minute, Imani, what else? Um, it says, um, who are some of your favorite front seven prospects projected early if we don't get a good shot at a quarterback? Brian, do you know? Oh, man, I'm the wrong to person to ask. I've okay. heard the same yeah. names that you guys mentioned before. Yeah. And then I saw a couple highlights of the 415 pound Florida defensive tackle. <laughs> right. And I was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. Give me to be that honest kid. with you, that question needs to be asked in December after you yeah. see how well yeah. they've played all season. And it's a great question. And I'm sure we will talk about it at length later in the season, yeah. but, yeah. but, say, um, yeah, I'm like, Dana, you said that perfectly. I have kind of a pattern of how I go through this every year. And obviously we haven't had, we've given away so many first round picks. I really don't get into the draft until probably the combine. So basically the way this draft clock work, and we'll probably have better answers to this is there's two like upper, upper level prospects, maybe the two best guys entirely. They're both front four guys. One of them is Will Anderson. You mentioned before from Alabama, he's like a Vaughn Miller type prospect, like top of the line, elite, elite. There's defensive tackle at Georgia who Trevon Walker went first last year. And all those guys from Georgia, this guy apparently was the best guy on the team. He's hurt right now. He's hurt his hamstring in the first game. So his numbers are down. People are, I know some of the other Seahawks bloggers are like, oh, I'm not sure how good he is. He's hurt. So it's a little different. After those guys, there's like a bunch of defensive linemen at Clemson. There's a couple other guys, but I, I can't quite give you names yet. So I don't dive into this until probably February. I spend, I, I'm in NFL mode and then I switch to draft mode. So it's a fun thing to follow. Like Matt Miller does a really good job. Jordan Reed on ESPN. But Again, it's a great thing to revisit after the year, especially once we know when, where they're drafting. All right. 
All right. So then the other question that we had that we hadn't already answered um, is, is from Troy Fagan. And he said, what bets to do any of the HB crew have going with Jeff Simmons for this MJ's wildcard series? We need to think of some. We don't, I don't think there are any. No, we have nothing on the books as of yet. Are Nathan and Evan Mariners fans? Evan certainly is not. He might, <laughs> he might feign mariner interest now because it's gotten popular but <laughs> but he has been he has been a active troll of mariners twitter for for many years so uh no i think nathan might be passively interested but i, I haven't heard i know of josh kind of likes them and will cornell is a mariner yeah he's a, he's a good mariners guy yes um yeah we should come up with one yeah hmm it should be like one of those mayoral bets where they're like, we'll bet you like some smoked it's salmon murky. from Pacific yeah. Sam, Puget Sound for, I don't know what the hell. Maple syrup. <laughs> maple syrup for beer. What do you oh, got in Toronto? I don't know. Like I have no ill will towards the Mariners in a way like if the Mariners win. I won't be that upset. Like if it's a cool story. If, if the Jays were playing or if the Mariners were playing the Astros, well, you would play in the next round. Then it's a fiery thing, but like that's the thing. It doesn't really matter because the Astros are like it is like night and day between them and pretty much everybody else. Yeah. They're we'll they're, come up with something though. We'll make it fun. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Are those all our questions, Dana? That's it, guys. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you for those and thanks, patrons. Uh head on over to patreon.com slash hawkblogger, sign up, get to be part of the slack community which is fun growing and they talk about seahawks mariners all the time whether we're doing a pod or not so go on over there and can keep the conversation going so let's talk about this saints game um you know i wrote my article this morning and i i at this point all i have time for is to like research the teams that we're going to play when i write the article i don't think about it much beforehand so i'm like any other fan before i do that and i'm still like any other fan but I walked into that and like, okay, the Saints are one and three. This is not a good team. They lost to, yeah, I think their only win was by one point over the Falcons or something like that. Like they just, it's not impressive. They lost to the Panthers. Um, and then I looked at the numbers and it's like offensively yards per play, rushing, passing pretty good, even though Jameis Winston's been out and they've had Andy Dalton playing defensively pass rush is pretty good yards per play is pretty good like coverage they've got some players they've got honey badger they've got cam jordan and uh you know they've got guys so i don't know what to make this team is one of the worst teams in the nfl in turning the ball over and that's part of why they have the record they have they are the worst team in the league in field goal percentage they've made only half of their kicks 50%, which is not a good rate. Um, so this feels like to me in the category of like the Broncos game, like it's, I think they're, they're a similar level talent team to the Broncos, which was not an easy game for the Seahawks. Um, I don't know where my head's at. I'm kind of curious where you guys are on this game, how you see this game, what a win would mean in your mind who would it prove more about the offense or the defense if they were able to win this game um dana maybe we'll start with you on this one 
Am I, correct me if I'm wrong. I have not had a chance to read your article yet, but correct me if I'm wrong, but the Saints are pretty good defensively. Is that correct? They are. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I thought. Um, not like 49er level good, but they're, they're pretty good defensively. Um, and so I think that that will be a great test for Gino, right? Okay. So last week we know the defense sucked, but you know, this week it's better. And so how he comes through on that, it'll be inside. It's in the dome. It'll be, I'll be there. And the Seahawks have never lost a game. Oh, with right. Yeah. Oh, I so, love that. I know. That's the kind of insight we need. And look, but, the Seahawks yeah. have never had trouble tackling Alvin Kamara. Like no. never. They yeah. always tackle him really well. <laughs> Go on. Yes. But I do think that, um, the Saints are also a, a pissed off team. This is a team that wants to win a couple of games. They they know that they should have won that game in London. And and they um they probably should have won a couple more games. This is definitely a better team than their record. And I know the saying is you are what your record says you are. Well, not really, especially not the first few games of the year. So I think that this will be a really good test for the offense. I don't even I I, I don't expect anything out of this defense ever so even though it's Andy Dalton and it's like oh that should be a good thing why it doesn't matter I don't think it matters which quarterback is out there right now except for we did see improved play I feel from members of the secondary I loved what Tariq Wollin did last week I loved that pick six it was great he now has two um interceptions I'm still waiting Quandre god dang it you're making me wait a long time for my pick six but so I think that because those especially is kind of settling into his role. I think we could see better things out of him too, but I don't know this. This is a hard one. Yeah. Jeff is a top 10 defense by DVOA yeah. by pretty much any measure. It's a top 10 defense. They'll be going against. It's an offense that depending on your metric is, you know, 10 to 10 to 20, somewhere in that range. Um, what are you seeing in this game? So I've watched most of their games. I didn't see that a lot of the Carolina game because that game could have been less interesting to me, but <laughs> I, they played at my time, 9 30 AM in London. So I watched the whole game last week and it's a lot of what Brian said, their talent level. If you eliminate the quarterback is really, really strong They're, They've added one of the best uh, rookies in the whole league. Chris Olave was the top 12 pick. He's been great. And he's like leading the league in air yards He's going to be a really tough guy, but him and Woolen would be a fascinating matchup. And Mike Thomas, who's been their other receiver, is hurt and he might not play. So Woolen against Olave is a really interesting match. Defensively, it's a really tough assignment for the Seahawks. Their front gave the Seahawks a ton of trouble last year. Mm-hmm. Remember, they were running plays right into that line a lot. And their Geno Smith like just couldn't, other than that deep ball to DK, they had a lot of trouble. So this is going to be really telling to see the progression from last year to this year of how they look. Cause that front is really strong. Uh, Cam George still one of the best players in the league and Minnesota is a team that's been hyped by a lot of people and they should have beat Minnesota. There was a really egregious call from the refs that got Minnesota in the winning field below position. And it's sort of what Brian said, they've been really sloppy all year. And Jameis Winston who has been their quarterback as a pension for turnovers. He's turned over the ball over a lot. And Andy Dalton came out last week. He was a little more stable, but their special teams fumbled twice last week and that gave Minnesota six points, which won the game. So the thing watching them is they're sloppier than they have been in the past. And a lot of it is the drop-off Sean Payton retired this well retired this off season, took the year off mm-hmm. and the drop-off from him to Dennis Allen is significant. Sure. And it's why a lot of people around the league are pretty low on the saints because 
Sean Payton's one of the best coaches in the NFL and Dennis Allen's is kind of just the guy. And so they still do have the talent, but they're sloppy and they've been sloppy in every game. And Baker Mayfield, who's by all indications, the worst quarterback in the NFL beat this team. And Christian McCaffrey ran for 120 yards on them. And Atlanta went up like 27, three on them. And Kirk Cousins was kind of throwing the ball over the yard on them last week. So just from a personnel standpoint, I think they match up really well with Seattle. I think Vegas has been pretty high. I think the Saints line just keeps moving up and up. But there's a couple of things to remember. They're, they're coming back from London this week. They did not take the bye. So you know, teams have the option to take the bye after their London game, and they decide to play this week. So that, that might be an interesting thing to watch and what their time zone is going to be like, what their body clock is going to be like. So that could be in Seattle's favor. But that front seven and their corners – are really, really good. And now they have a honey badger at safety who had a really nice interception last week. So just from like a talent standpoint, eliminating the quarterback, they're much further ahead of Seattle. And I think they're going to give Seattle trouble. But if Seattle comes out and maintains this offense against this defense, which Brian pointed out is pretty damn good, I think that's going to be super optimistic. I'm kind of expecting things to level out a bit. There's a lot of hype around Gino right now, player of the week. People might be buying their hype a lot this week. So I'm a little worried about that. But if they come out and play well against this defense, that's going to be super optimistic because on offense, they're kind of a weird team. They have a good offensive line. Alvin Kamara is coming back. They should give our front seven trouble. But I think the game comes down to how Gino and them can operate against Cam Jordan and David Onyemata and some of those. Marcus Davenport's a really good pass rusher. And how's our offensive line go up? We did well against Detroit, but this is a much better front. And to me, that's going to be super telling and, if the Saints win, it's probably going to be because of that. And if the Seahawks win, holy shit, there's going to be some excitement about this offense. All right, Jeff. So what's your prediction in this game? Give me a score. I think the Saints are going to win a close game. I just think things are kind of kind of normalized for the Seahawks offense. And I just wonder about how they handle that front in New Orleans. So I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. I think 23-20 to 20 for the Saints. Um, but again, I think there's potential for turnovers and I think it's going to be Andy Dalton at quarterback this week. Yeah, sure. looks that way. Dana, <laughs> what is your prediction and score? I hate to say it too, but I think the Saints are going to win this game. I think they're going to bounce back from that game last week in London. Um, I, I, I think every game this year is going to be a close game. It just seems to be that way, except for San Francisco. Um, so I have the Saints winning 31, 27. Wow. High scoring. That yeah. makes some sense. Um, I would be encouraged if the Seahawks put up 27 on this defense. That would be a good mm-hmm. sign on the road. Um, so the stakes are increasing for me each week because so far I am a perfect four for four in my predictions, Dana. Mm-hmm. I know you are. Mm-hmm. I know you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I am not. <laughs> and look, the Seahawks offense the one week where they played poorly, like legitimately poorly was against the defense in San Francisco. That's right now so far doing something like from a yards per play perspective that hasn't been done for like 20 plus years. Like they're, they're, they're playing at an extremely high level. And I think we might not have even known um, how high of a level when they played them in week two. So that's something to keep in mind. I think we saw them, also, the, the coaching staff said, we're going to take the the reins off of Gino in week three. We're going to let him play. And we saw the result. It wasn't just dinking and dunking anymore. He started pushing the ball 
down the field and it was working effectively. We saw him and DK look like the type of duo that you want to see in a quarterback with that kind of receiver last week and the tight ends. And a lot of the plays looked like these are things that should be able to work against most teams. Um, I'm predicting something weird is going to happen in this game. I'm predicting that the Seahawks defense is actually going to play a better game. And I think we're going to get frustrated with the Seahawks offense and it's going to be weird. We're going to be catching ourselves. Like what is going on here? Why is the Seahawks offense not able to move the ball as well as we're used to? And the Seahawks defense is actually getting off the field. So I think it stays relatively close in the first half. I think like Jeff, I think it's going to be a lower scoring game than we've seen. Um, I have the saints winning it though. Uh, I'm going to go 20 to 17 this week. So uh, that's, that would be a huge step forward for the defense. <laughs> um, yeah, I'd actually be, I'd be happy with that. You know what well, I mean? Even with the loss. I mean, that, that would be great. It's funny. Like you're right in the big picture. That's probably true, but I'm, I'm just so much more enjoying watching this offense right now, as much as I'm a defensive person. If like, if we get, if we don't get to keep this like fairy tale story going on with Gino, it would take a little bit of the wind out of my sails, to be honest. I've really enjoyed, I, I oh, love it's an been the best part of watching. I love an underdog, you know, and I love when people dismiss us in, in the Northwest and dismiss the Seahawks, like, and then we just get to crap all over their dreams. Like, I love that. So I'm hoping all that continues, but as of now, that is my prediction is that the Seahawks will unfortunately come up on the, the short side of this one. 10 a.m. game. Pete's only lost one 10 a.m. game in the last mm -hmm. few years. Um, this last Sunday was another one. So looking forward to waking up early watching that game. And until then, we will say goodnight. Um, thank you, everybody, for tuning in. If you haven't already, please give the show a like. It doesn't take long uh subscribe to the channel we're still growing the channel and would love to get more subscribers uh click the bell to get notified so you know when we go live maybe the seahawks make some move and we need to come on and talk to you about it um and then go over to patreon.com hogblogger sign up be a patron support the show get access to the slack channel the community that's growing there that's super fun and chill and help us support the charities that we support so would love to see you all do that join the crew and until then, we will see you on Twitter. Uh, enjoy. Have a great night. Go Hawks.